Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Bob. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, yeah, you can get us at WallsBlog.com or Facebook forward slash WallsBlog or Twitter.com uh, forward slash WallsBlog. Hi, I'm uh, Steve McGookin. I'm a Tottenham fan based in Belfast. And uh, in a previous life, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs uh, Sporters Club. And you can get them at nyspurs.com. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about foam football club. You can follow us on Twitter at Cottage Talk and also on my own Twitter account, Russ underscore Goldman. And uh, we are now actually Cottage Talk as part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Awesome. Congratulations to you, Russ, on that count. Um, Steve mentioning he's a Tottenham fan, obviously. Uh, listeners will know I am as well. Makes this uh, first topic particularly painful. But um, Arsenal uh, deserved 2-0 winners against Tottenham in the North London Derby today. And what's really astounding about that is not just the, the performance of the result, but the fact that they're now eight points atop the table in the Premier League. I think some people thought they maybe be derailed with losing Gabriel Jesus. Uh, to injury obviously they just lost out on their primary uh, target to replace him in Mudrik who just went to Chelsea Uh, but City lost again this weekend Pep already said that City can't win the league so basically leaves Arsenal unless you think one of uh, Newcastle or Manchester United could catch up so uh, do you guys think at this stage that that Arsenal will win the title for the 2022-2023 season and if so what will have had to go right for them? I've been saying all along that I think Man City will eventually catch up, overtake and win the title. Um, I think we have to say that when you know, Man City and Arsenal aren't yet at the halfway stage of the season. So even though we're halfway through January uh, in a normal season, mm-hmm. we'd be towards the end of December. So it feels further along than it is. So I don't want to go along that. You know, It's a long way to go, but it is. it's still a long way to go. Um, as to what they need to do, they just need to keep going. You know that that's the keep doing what they're doing. Um, I I still think sorry going back. I didn't answer the original question. I still think I'm still going to say Man City. Um, I think Pep Guardiola is reacting there in the aftermath of a difficult defeat for them. I was about to say before that that late turnaround at Old Trafford that I thought it was going to be a great win for Man City because it was obvious Man Man United were going to cause them a problem in that game just because of their form coming into it. But I thought Man City managed the game really well up until they fell apart with the offside goal that should have been given offside but wasn't. Um, so I think you know Man City can count themselves a little bit unlucky there. Um, but you're back to the the point is that I I think eventually they they will even though they look more fallible this season 
I still think they'll they'll get a good total overall that will mean Arsenal have to maintain the kind of consistency that they've shown. And I just still feel there's going to come a time where Arsenal are going to get stretched. Um, if they keep their entire first 11 fit, then I think they've got an exceptional chance of winning the title. Um, but it's just that that question mark, really. We saw Leicester do it because when, when they were at the top, obviously everyone thought, you know, they won't be able to keep that, that first 11 fit, but they pretty much did all season. Uh, they only really used about 13, 13 14 players consistently. Um, so if that happens and Arsenal get that season, they have a very good chance. Um, but I'm just thinking if they don't, you know, get the reinforcements they want in January, and as you would expect, maybe they lose one or two players. I mean, they've lost Jesus now and and, um, and Ketty has come in and done a fantastic job. So, so maybe their squad is a bit deeper than you think. But my instinct is that at some point they're going to they're gonna run into an issue with, with injuries combined with the, the Premier League just dragging them back a little bit. I think they've got Man United next. So that's another tough game that, that they'll need to go in and um, play very well. So... Yeah, I think I I still just just even though obviously the, the gap is opening up and and City don't look as good as they perhaps have at other times, I still would just edge favour City. Yeah, uh, I have to talk about today's game before I talk about um, um, the out, outlook for the title. That I, Kevin today was uh, you know embarrassing, disheartening. And completely predictable. I mean, once again, you know, we, we, we only show up at the break and even then it's not enough. And uh, being consistently and predictably outperformed by one team that we've always dreaded coming up against. And for, you know, for a long time, it was Liverpool. Uh, it was Chelsea before that. And, and this year it's Arsenal's turn, you know, leaving aside the whole, the loaded nature of the North London derby anyway. But um you know, previously those opponents, Liverpool and Chelsea, were, were they were the standard that we would judge ourselves by and what we needed to do to compete uh, going forward. But now, you know, if we're honest, we're we're looking at the likes of Newcastle, Brighton, and and even Fulham, Ross, who are who are competing week on week in a way that we're just not. Anyway, for uh, for Arsenal, um, you know, you you know you're going to hear in the press now uh, that it's their title to lose, and I I, I agree with Thomas. I think he, uh, I'm very reluctant to say that with literally half a season to go, and I I actually don't agree that Pep has given up on the title. I think what he said, his actual quote was, "I don't care if we win the title. I don't think he said that they can't win the title, but." Um, even if he may be prioritizing the Champions League at this point, even though he'd never admit it, I think we're definitely heading in the direction where, where Arsenal's consistency is going to be the, the telling point. Uh, if they can continue to play at the level that they've been playing recently, um, then with every game that ticks down, uh, that's one less game for someone to catch them. And I think next week's game, is, as I think Thomas mentioned, uh, against Manchester United, Definitely will come at a um, at a at a point where uh, it'll tell us more about both teams at at a crucial point in the season than a lot of other other fixtures for for a recent while. So yeah, I'm I'm non-committal, but I think we're we're heading with each passing week. We're heading towards a point where, uh, unfortunately, the the title is heading to uh, to Highbury. Oh, and before I stop. Uh, one other thing that just rubbed our noses in it this week was um, 
was Gareth Bale's retirement and the uh, the replaying of all those incredible goals that he scored for us. You know, just celebrating one of the best players that any of us has had the chance to watch in the flesh. And uh, the, the, the sad irony, of course, being that his only trophyless season after leaving Spurs was the year he came back to Spurs. And, uh, and frankly, that's just pathetic. Wow, you guys have said a lot. And uh, I appreciate everything you said about Arsenal. I just want to mention this, and I believe I made this prediction on the EPL roundtable. I actually predicted Arsenal to win the title, and I stick by that now. But the argument that you guys are both making, I, I would agree on this. I think it's ultimately going to come down to consistency, which I think that they have already shown. And then on top of it, it's going to be how fresh and also how can they keep that starting 11 intact? Like uh, you were talking about prior, the situation with Leicester City, I think that reigns true for a team like Arsenal. And also, I'm a big fan of Arteta, and I think potentially the student is going to beat the professor. We'll end up seeing seeing this play out, but I wouldn't count on, I wouldn't count out Manchester City at all. I, I know what we're talking about with maybe the situation being more about the Champions League, but I would not count them out. There's still, there's too much quality there. But as the two of you have already mentioned, I think it will come down to that combination. And uh, Arsenal are a very good side. I think that they're going to win the title, but there's a lot of football still to be played as you both have just talked about. So I wouldn't rule anything out. I wouldn't rule out Man City at all. I also want to give a shout out. I'm glad that you, you've already mentioned this as well to a team like Newcastle United who Fulham just lost to today. What it comes down to is consistently playing each and every match. And that's what Newcastle have done. That's what Arsenal have done. And that is what, to me, what I've been watching this season, what can separate a team. It's ultimately... Each and every match coming to play and having a chance to win. And in the case of Arsenal, being the best at it. So for me, I think Arsenal, it's for me, it's Arsenal is the team to beat, but I'm not ruling anything out. Yeah, it's uh, as you all say, it is pretty crazy <laughs> that we're heading into the third week of January and not every club has even played there. There are 19 matches yet to reach that midpoint of the season. But yeah, I mean, eight points at the top is pretty significant. Um, and we'll see if they're able to to hold on. But <laughs> Russ, you just mentioned Newcastle there. Obviously, uh, there's it as well as as Arsenal. It feels like the Leicester year again for Spurs fans, but for two different <laughs> clubs, hoping that Newcastle fall off enough to get a top four spot, hoping Arsenal fall off so that they don't get the title. Uh, and it didn't work when we just needed one club to fall off. So uh, <laughs> hoping that two do it at the same time, not yeah. feeling particularly likely. Um, uh, we'll head now to the other end of the table uh, where I wanted to talk about West Ham and Everton, both currently in the relegation zone. And they actually have the exact same record over their last five matches, one draw and four losses, which isn't ideal. Uh, which of either do you think is more likely or capable of pulling themselves uh, to safety come the end of the year? I think you would have to say that West Ham have the better squad. Um, I think back to front, really, West Ham, you, you look at them and think they shouldn't really be down there. Uh, but it perhaps speaks to the the competitiveness of the of the Premier League that they are. Um, I obviously they they played my team Wolves yesterday and um, and lost an important game. Um, I 
I said in my preview to the game that it's bizarre because they've got the exact same group of players that were competing for the Champions League, I think, basically 12 months ago. They were right up there, weren't they? And what what has gone wrong there? I'm not really sure. Um, is it that they've just tried to evolve that team and it's taken them backwards, probably, if some of the players dropped off a level? I, I don't know. It's just it's very strange because normally there's a trigger and normally it involves personnel leaving for that that kind of dramatic dramatic drop off or teams just figured out the the way the the Moyes formula and how they want to play um but but certainly on paper and you know with the experience of David Moyes um they they should have enough to turn it around with the group that they've got uh with Everton it's a, it's a different kettle of fish you've got more inexperienced manager in Frank Lampard albeit he kept Everton up last season um, but I think because the Everton fans themselves have pointed out, they don't seem to have that Richarlison figure who's going to spearhead a, a big survival push. Um, and, and their squad looks light. You know, some of, they've, they've got some they've got some okay players, um, but I, I don't think they've got enough sort of copper bottom players that you, you would bet the house on them. You know, grabbing that team and, and taking them through some some tough times. So I think if they don't add to their squad and or change the manager, um, I think I think they're in a lot of trouble, Everton. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the, the teams around them, they're, they're making moves. I mean, Wolves, again, OK, there's a certain bias, but, you know, from the outside, we bought in Lopetegui. He's a manager with huge pedigree. They bought a striker in for 50, 40, 50 million pounds from Atletico Madrid. Uh, and there's three or four other players, you know, that are in the process of coming in. It, you know, other teams are making moves. Notts Forest are finding consistency. In, in that group of players that they've got, even Southampton, three wins in a row, albeit two in the cup, but they seem like they're they're picking up. So the pressure is really on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say out of the two of them, it, you know, with the status quo as it is, with the players and managers they've got, I think West Ham have an infinitely better chance of staying up than Everton. And I, I would back um, West Ham to beat Everton uh, next week, which I believe is the next fixture. So I think that that could be a turning point for them. Um, but yeah, massive game in store there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with pretty much everything uh, you just said there, Thomas. Um, uh, not a not a good weekend for Merseyside generally, um, but the situation at Everton is is worrying on and on and off the uh, the pitch. I mean, we're we're at the point where you know if the board is thinking of pulling the trigger on on replacing Lampard. They're kind of at that dangerous point in terms of available replacements where instead of sort of trying to upgrade with a, a another medium-term project, they'll be forced to bring in someone like Sean Dyche, who they think might give them a better chance of staying up this season. But then but then what happens after that? So there, there's certainly, I think, disarray in uh, in those ranks. And I think you made a very good point about they don't seem to have a player like Richarlison that they can use as a as a, a touchstone for motivating the team to to escape uh, this season. So I, I think West Ham certainly of those two uh, are are probably more likely to uh, to sort themselves out. And I think in part uh, just because you know Moyes has been up and down the managerial road in in a way that Lampard just hasn't. So uh, yeah, I'd, I think I'd have to uh, I'd have to go with uh, with West Ham on that. But you know, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned next week's uh, fixture because it was a hugely significant weekend this weekend all across the league. A lot of key fixtures, 
Uh, and and that's how it should be at this point. You know, every result has implications for for the top and bottom of the league. Um, and, and we're starting to see some idea of how things might take shape. And it, it, it certainly it looks like there will be some big clubs involved in in struggling struggling at the at the wrong end of the table if things keep going the way they are. Um, and and we, we we mentioned earlier about the uh, the Man United Man City game. Again, I have to address the. Uh, uh, that controversial first goal, you know, it reminded me at the time of, of that uh, old Brian Clough quote about, you know, if a player's not interfering with play, what the hell's he doing on the pitch? Um, but it, what it showed, I think, was the, the, the difficulty of, of having consistency in how the offside rule is applied and more importantly explained uh, to, uh, to everybody else. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, West Ham to stay up, but beyond that, uh, that's of those two. <laughs> I mean, who knows? So, is it okay for me to say that I really can't stand either one of these sides? Is that okay to start this <laughs> sure. conversation? Because I really don't like either team, so we'll we'll start there. But if I had to choose which one, it would be West Ham, similar to what the two gentlemen before me have already said, so I'm not going to really be adding too much more except that to say one of the reasons why I would lean more West Ham, and this is difficult because they've dealt with their own situations. I actually think of the two teams, the more toxic situation is Everton right now. And I think that is going to continue to grow. I don't see that stopping. West Ham have someone that I actually have a lot of respect for in Moyes, even though I might not like his style. It, does work and as you guys have already said they still have the same players from last season so i would i would put my money on west ham based on the players that they have and the manager that they have and nothing against uh, lampard and everton i just think that without richarlson as you guys have already talked about i think it's an uphill struggle and i think they will be fighting the relegation battle and i would if I was to put my money on any team, it would be on West Ham. Gotcha. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting one. Uh, the Everton thing, I, I just looked up when their stadium supposed to be built. It isn't next year, so there isn't a chance that they go down and have to play in their brand new stadium in the championship for the first time. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation for both, to be sure. Uh, do you think uh, one or the other is more likely to keep their manager through the end of the year, or do you think they, it, it'd be unlikely for either of them to, to make it to the end of the season? Oh, I, I think West Ham definitely are probably more likely of those two to to stick it out. The the worrying thing with Everton, as as we've hinted at, is that the board are under a lot of pressure, uh, and so sacking the manager is kind of a, a an easy way to deflect to try and deflect from that. But then again, they just put themselves back a few squares, and and where do they go after that? So. Yeah, I think I think as both of you have um, have hinted at, the the turmoil surrounding the club is is difficult to climb out of uh and i think um i think lampard needs to worry that he's going to end up being the fall guy for it yeah i mean i'd I'd agree with that i think that the problems with um everton at the moment are problems that go back five six years you know that it's just that they're coming home to roost now um, because of their, their bad dealings in the transfer market for many, many years. It just meant that in this this previous window that they were completely hamstrung. 
Um, I think they've made moves towards trying to try and change the structure at the club. They brought Kevin Thelwell in, who was at Wolves, and he helped spearhead our promotion um, outside of the, the Premier League, obviously working closely with George Mendes. But um, but he, he had a good amount of pedigree, and I think they... They were trying to, you know, become more structured in what they were doing and smarter in their recruitment. And I think a lot of people, including myself, earlier in the season, were, were sort of lauding some of their their buys, you know, in Tarkowski and um, Cody, which, you know, they paid nothing for those players and they sort of helped them defensively. Um, but then they just haven't been able to replace what Richarlison gave them at the other end. And obviously, Calvert-Lewin's been injured. So I think that that's the problem. So... You go down the road of thinking you sack Lampard, but can another can another manager lift this group? Um, I'm not sure, but I, th- I think the the you know to answer your question, Kev, I think you, you, what uh, what Steve said is absolutely spot on. That the the Everton board will probably be looking at it, thinking if we pull the trigger on Lampard, it's going to mean that the fans are talking about who we get in, um, and it will just change the the outlook, um, which I think they'll probably be quite keen on doing. Um, so I think, yeah, and I think Moyes has banked enough equity to see this out and, and um, you know, take them to the finish, win, lose or draw. Totally agree with the commentary here because I think that they might look at changing the manager. I, I don't see West Ham getting rid of Moyes and I don't think that they should. When you look at Everton, that's the easiest thing to do. And I'm glad that you already mentioned the fact that when you go through a spending spree and and the chickens come home to roost, it does show itself, and now it's showing itself. So who is ultimately to blame for this? Is it Lampard? I think that Lampard might be out of his depth, if I'm being honest. So the easiest solution is to, I hate to say it, bring in someone like Sean Dyche. So you do that to stabilize everything, but then you are changing what Everton are about, at least what I know Everton to be about. He's not what I would think of as an Everton manager but he could save them. I could see them going down that direction if they're really worried, and they should be, about being relegated. Uh, Everton being relegated is a big deal, so I I wouldn't be shocked if they make the move, and that would take some of the pressure off of the board if they change the manager. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how each of these clubs respond, but I think you guys make a lot of really good points, especially about Everton having... Uh, done some real damage to their finances, club, etc. in past transfer windows. Of course, we're currently in one. Uh, and uh, outside of Chelsea going crazy, I know Wolves have signed a couple of players already. But uh, are, are we expecting to see the transfer business kind of pick up here in the final two weeks? Or are we thinking that this is going to just end up kind of being a slow one? I think, uh, well, Wolves, I know, I know Wolves have got another couple of deals in the, the pipeline. Um, Sarabia is coming from PSG. It looks like he's going to be. That looks like a, a good bit of business for not very much money uh, for a Spanish international um, and a defensive, another defensive midfielder from uh, Brazil to go with Lamina, who we've already signed. So I think Wolves are the team, pleasingly from my perspective, who are making the most proactive moves in the market. Um, obviously, <laughs> you have to asterisk that and be like, well, will it work or not? Will it improve us? But but we certainly need to add to the squad. Um, and I, but I would expect I would expect all the teams, particularly those at the bottom, to do something uh, in the final you know, final weeks. So I think all those squads need adding to. Um, I, I personally, again, you know, you might you guys might 
consider me biased, I don't know, but I think Wolves have the strongest squad of any of those bottom seven teams. I think it's about three points now between uh, 20th and 14th or something. But I, I look at all those squads and I think we've, we've got the, you know, the deepest squad uh, and the most quality. So I feel a little bit smug about what we've got. Whether it plays out that way, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think all those teams need to. I do agree it's been quiet, but maybe again, it's a hangover from the World Cup. Teams getting players back auditing what they're doing, trying to get things in order. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it will will heat up in the uh, in the next week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, I, I expect a few more transfers, I would think. I mean, on, on the balance, the uh, the winter, the problem with the winter transfer window is, is balancing this idea of uh, what players are available, you know, who's out of contract, and is it more likely that you sign a pre- uh, pre-contract agreement with a player to to come at the end of the season, uh, balancing that with the desperation or otherwise that that uh, a team might find itself in, whether that's challenging for the title or or trying to avoid uh, getting sucked into into a relegation fight. Um, I think from a from a Spurs perfect perspective, I mean, I know there's there's been a lot of talk about Pedro Porro coming in and, and certainly our right wing back is, is uh, the, the priority, I think, for, for us at the moment. But I, I wouldn't expect Spurs to be particularly active uh, until the summer for another a number of reasons, if I'm honest. And a lot of those are to do with uh, whether or not we expect Conte to still be uh, to still be the coach uh, going into next season. Uh, I think what what we'll do is, or what we'll have to do is uh, assess the status of the players who are out on loan at the moment and whether they have any sort of realistic future with the club. And of course, again, what their agents are thinking uh, that might be the uh, that might be the situation with the manager going forward. I mean, transfers don't work on knee jerk reactions and they and they take time to work their way through this the, the system and and to be honest you know our recent form hasn't exactly been a good shop window for uh, attracting any any big potential signings so you know we'll we'll have to see but um uh, or you know maybe this is the this is finally the year we sign leandro damial who knows <laughs> well in regards to fulham and well the champ um, i'm sorry the transfer window in general i definitely think is going to heat up. And I, I, I agree with my friend talking about Wolves, that I, I think Wolves have the best chance to avoid any type of relegation situation based on the manager and also the players that you have and hopefully will be bringing in as well. In regards to uh, my club, I'm hoping that they bring in a right back. We have a starting right back who I think is very good. Unfortunately, he's very injury prone in Kenny Tete. So for me, I'm hoping that they actually do bring in a right back. There's a lot of talk about several right backs, including one from Arsenal's Cedric Soares that they're looking at, but we'll see what happens. I do think that they do need some help in central midfield as well. There's been some talk about that, but besides that, there's been very little talk in regards to players coming in, but I really want Fulham to get aggressive uh, more or less to try to make a push. I can't believe I'm saying this for Europe. I want to see Fulham make a push for Europe. I don't know if they can actually get it done based on the squad that they have because starting 11 is very strong. The bench is not. We have a very small side right now. So I think that they need to be aggressive in the transfer window. 
But right now, the what I am seeing is really a team that's not being that aggressive. So we'll see. I think Marco has built a very good side, but I think he needs help. So ultimately, I think we're going to learn a lot about Fulham and what their ambition is for the rest of the season if they're aggressive in the transfer market. Gotcha. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to ask more club questions with each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, and we are back. Thomas, I wanted to start with you talking about Wolves. Uh, obviously, we knew heading into the World Cup that things were going to look a little bit different. You'd already appointed Lopetegui, and he just hadn't started yet uh, for the club. But now with a couple of positive results out of the relegation zone, you get quotes uh, like out of Max Kilman saying that, that he's already brought back the real Wolves, in quotes. Uh, I was just curious your thoughts on this kind of turnaround. And we were talking a little bit about the show, and it sounds like you're pretty optimistic that you might be able to to avoid a ruthless relegation fate. Yes, yes, definitely. It's it's all been going splendidly, really. Um, I think when he took over, it it I was questioning, I just don't, what's he going to do with this group? It just, I think when things are bad... When things aren't going well, you think it's the end of the world, don't you? think all these players are terrible. I imagine you're probably thinking a bit like that with Tottenham at the moment. You know, a couple of bad results, you start saying, are any of these players any good? Um, but sometimes it's never as bad as you think it is, you know. Um, and equally, sometimes when it's going well, it's never as good as you think it is. But, but you know, I think uh, Lopetegui's shown that he, he can get more out of this group of players. And that's what you want a, a head coach to do. You want him to make the players you've got better. Because obviously you always want to be adding new players and, and making the squad better. Um, but, you know, you look, sometimes you look at players, you think they used to be good. They used to contribute and, and that, you know, the performances are dipped. And why is that? So he's what he's done. He's just made a number of players, you know, 10 to 15 percent more effective in matches. Um, and we suddenly look, you know, more cohesive as a team. We look like a serious entity. Um, and I think it's helped. It's kind of been a perfect storm. It's, we've we've had some players who were out injured for a couple of months. Raul Jimenez being a, an example of one. Wang Ki Chan. Um, those players got fit and went to the World Cup. Unfortunately, they've come back and they've they've added to the they've added to the numbers. So we've had not only a, a competitive first eleven, but we've had those you know those five substitutes you can bring off the bench, um, and we're really feeling the benefit. I think of that. I think when we beat Everton. Frank Lampard said, look, you know, look at the players Wolves are bringing off the bench. You know, we, we can't compete with that. And that's the, that's the situation we want to uh, we want to have. So, um, so yeah, and I mean, the, the club have been proactive, not just in bringing Lopetegui in, but 
uh, you know, Cunha from Atletico Madrid, 40 million euros uh, striker. That was a big statement of intent before the window had even opened. Uh, Mario Lamine has come in. As I said, there's another um, Brazilian from uh, midfielder coming in as well and Sarabia from PSG. So, you know, the, the club are doing everything they can to support this manager. And, um, you know, everyone seems like they're pulling in the right direction. So, you know, it's 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 all upside at the moment. It's just a case of, can we just keep this momentum going? The unfortunate thing is that we're now heading into back-to-back matches against Man City and Liverpool. Um, but because of, you know, particularly Liverpool's troubles, you know, combined with our upturn, you, you go into games thinking, well, actually, can we can we cause them a problem in that game? You know, we cause them a problem in the FA Cup. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's the mentality change that we've seen, really. It's we, we've gone from thinking, oh, no, there's another game. <laughs> How are we going to survive to going into games thinking, actually, we could we could turn up and, um, you know, have our say in this game. And I think that that's the big thing, the belief that um, the Lopetegui and, you know, the club's kind of proactive um, re- response to our poor start has had. Got it. And you mentioned in the opening that you have already signed a couple of players who are surely uh, to, to make a nice impact on the club. Are you excited by those players? And what are you expecting to see from Lamina and Cunha specifically? Yeah, I am. I am excited. I mean, I think um, we, you know, we're still a goal. We're, we're averaging less than a goal a game. You know, it was another one nil against West Ham yesterday. Um and we're not winning any games with any degree of comfort. All the wins we've had have been narrow, you know, where we've been defending for our lives at the end, just trying to hold on. Um, so, I mean, Cunha, we hope he's going to have the answer to, to, you know, creating and scoring goals. He hasn't got a fantastic goal-scoring record. So I think it's raised some eyebrows at the fee we spent for a guy who hasn't really been finding the net regularly uh, for Atletico Madrid. Um, but the, you know the hope is that he he forms part of a more attack, better attacking unit overall, um, and there's already been signs of him linking up quite well with Raúl Jiménez and Daniel Pedence. Um And then yeah, I mean Lamina, what Mario Lamina may give us is more legs in midfield because I mean as we've been saying for years with uh, Martinho and Neves, they're both fantastic technicians, but they don't cover the ground on the pitch necessarily. Um, so we need more energy in there. We obviously got that with Mateus Nunes in the summer, another highly rated player. Um, but yeah, the, the signs are that I think Lopetegui wants to play a more, high, you know, a higher press, higher intensity. So he wants, you know, he wants um, more energy in that midfield. But ultimately, again, it, it also comes down to the having a strong bench. And I think a lot of managers said when, when the five substitute rule was introduced that it was going to favour the top clubs just because they have deeper squads. Um, and I think a lot of the clubs are opening their eyes to that now. I was thinking, well, actually, if you can have five subs, you want to make sure that you've, you've definitely got five good senior players and good options that you can bring on to, to change the game. And I think that's that seems to be a policy that Wolves have adopted. So those those two players we've spoken of, even if they're not in the starting eleven, you know, they, they can be having their say consistently from the bench and... Um, Lopetegui hasn't been shy about making substitutions at half time at 60 minutes, which is early, and and really changing the the shape of the team in response to what's happening in the game. So um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think the you know like I said, the, the coach is experienced, and he seems to know what he wants to do. He's obviously quite tactically astute, and we're giving the the club are giving him the tools he wants to to get the job done. So I mean, you can't really ask for any better than that. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then just very quickly, just because you mentioned potentially moving the midfield around, does that mean you think you'd try to fit all three in, or are you now spelling different players depending on the the setup of each match? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because we, I mean we've we've got we're at the point where we've got overload in a lot of areas. Um, but I, I mean he's gone with three he's gone with three proper midfielders. I mean he played Nunes, Neves, and Matinho yesterday. But Matinho's operating in a number ten position, which isn't really his. I don't think that's really his bag. Um, he, he's just filling fulfilling a job there, and that's why I expect Sarabia from PSG to come in and play there um, because I think you know we're, he's obviously looking for a player to fulfil that role. Um, but in terms of you know uh, Lamina, I don't I don't know where he's going to fit in. I think I think he's come in with the just for kind of rotation purposes um, because I can't imagine he's, he's going to drop Neves or Nunes. He may play Lamina at the base with Neves and push Nunes further on. But then again, Nunes has started to look like a forty million pound player since he's been playing in his more favoured sort of holding midfield role. So I honestly don't know what he'll do. Um, but he has done some you know strange and interesting experimental things. Uh, during game so uh, I wouldn't like to second guess him really got it well we'll come to you now Steve to talk a little bit about Tottenham and you already kind of teased this in the opening section but it's the question being asked in every single Spurs group chat right now which is with the window open with Tottenham needing new players would you rather invest this window strongly to give Conte the team he needs to try to push on with his style or would you rather hold on to the money and see if he ends up staying through the summer or or keep that money and invest in whoever comes in. Yeah, the, the key question there is whether he stays to the summer. I mean, Conte has been notorious for dropping these hints that he might walk away if things don't go his way or that he doesn't get the backing from the club. And with each passing week and each performance like today, we've seen uh, you know an increasingly an increasing number of Spurs fans who are, who are becoming kind of disenchanted with that approach let's say that i'm not saying that they'd care whether he actually walked away or not but given that that rinse and repeat cycle that i was talking about earlier it just you expect that the the club will take us back a, a few squares at some point and um, you know i think an awful lot it's it's part of Let's say it's not just down to Conte. It's down to the ownership of the club, the overall investment structure of the club. I know, you know, they've been having talks with various investment groups uh, about taking stakes and, and that sort of thing. And I think for each of the of the past few seasons, certainly after the 2019 Champions League final, you could see that Enoch were sort of thinking about when would be the right time to actually walk away from this. Um, We'll see how that turns out. I mean, just as we would be reluctant to commit transfer funds to a manager who's not going to be there in a year, uh, you'd also get a, a perspective where a potential investor would start to say, well, are, are we going to actually go in on a project that actually has a manager there who we're going to replace at some point? So um there's just there's so many things so many uh, moving parts uh in spurs ownership and management at the moment and it's and also another thing you talked about the spurs chat groups at the moment um i, I have to give a warning to a lot of spurs fans who think that potch is a cert to come back he he certainly if if conte left it would uh, be far from uh, far from a certainty that potch would even re return 
and it, it sort of mirrors the, um, the, the, the uncertainty that's going on at Liverpool at the moment, <clears throat> because if you think back, uh, both the projects, the Klopp project and the Pochettino project sort of began at roughly the same time. I think uh, Poch came in 2014, uh, Klopp came in 2015. And then, you know, that those projects culminated in that Champions League final in 2019. And now it's strange to hear some Liverpool fans having lost patience with Klopp and even proposing that, that Poch replace him, you know. So I think there's, there's an, as I say, there's an awful lot of moving parts uh, in Spurs relative to the other clubs as well. I mean, Chelsea, um, and we were talking a little bit about this before, before the show, um, this is Todd Bowley's first season in the Premier League. I know he's an experienced sports management uh, person, but it's his, it, he has to adjust to how business is done in the Premier League and that sort of thing. And we're seeing... You know, a lot of the spending, you know, £10 million on a short, short-term loan deal for a, a player who's now suspended for three games. That, and that just seems to sum up, really, the, the, the fact that that's a club that needs to find some stability. And I think I still think Graham Potter is a, is a good manager. And I, I definitely would not have been upset if we had gone for him uh, uh, one, one manager ago. Let's put it that way. But you you stick with the manager that you have, um, even if they kind of throw the the, the possibility of of uh, throwing a bomb into your into your plans uh, with you. Um, our our problem, I think, is that Enoch have got to a point where they are content to. I mean, our our aim is probably to qualify for the Champions League. And that's from a financial perspective, that's um, that, that that's that would satisfy the management. Um, they're content for us to basically be challenging for that rather than challenging for the league. Uh, and I, I, again, it depends on whether that's something that Conte is prepared to bite his bite his tongue and uh, and not argue for. I mean, every manager wants more players. Every manager wants the players that he thinks will do a job for him and then uh, won't be around when the, it turns out that they don't. So I think uh, it's, it's hard to see how that, how that all plays out simply because there are so many moving parts. Yeah, I think the way the, the Spurs fan base is feeling about Conte right now is uh, the same way Mike Tomlin refers to his players on the Steelers, which is uh, we want volunteers, not hostages. And it sounds like Antonio Conte constantly wants to be viewed as like a hostage. It's like held captive at Tottenham and and its situation. It's like, do do you want to be here? Like whatever whatever way it plays out, he's going to walk away and say, well, they wouldn't back me. You know, I didn't get the support that I needed because that was what I was warning about all along. I could, mm. I could never win trophies with them because I wasn't getting the uh, the, the their or, or what's the what's the classic managerial line? Their ambition didn't match mine. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, he'd have a much better case if we were playing well, but I think that's that's yeah. your point, is that people are like, okay, I've seen <laughs> us play better football than this. Um, uh, it's, come, not like, yeah. it's not like we don't have good players. We mm. have good players. We have a, a, a squad full of good players, and uh, they're just they're just not turning it on. Yeah, all right, Russ, we'll come to you now where uh, performance isn't really the issue. Obviously, going toe-to-toe with uh, Newcastle this week, obviously, 
uh, managing to beat Chelsea towards the back end of last week. Uh, I'm sure if people haven't been paying attention or if they lost sight of the Premier League standings during the World Cup, they probably aren't aware that you're already in and about the European places. But uh, today's loss, unfortunately, a, a disappointing potential dent to that. What did you make of that match? Some of the crazy calls, the double hit penalty. It, it was just a wild one to watch as a neutral. Maybe as a neutral, but certainly not as a foam supporter. It wasn't really enjoyable. We'll just leave it at that. But it was uh, hard because what's great about my team right now is they can pretty much play with everyone. That includes Man City. I thought Man City was, was a team they could not play with. They, they actually have been competitive. The only team that has been able to do a number on them was actually Newcastle United at Craven Cottage and Fulham had someone sent off early in the match. Chalba sent off early. So that affected what they obviously wanted to do. And when now they go to St. James's Park and they're all kind of confident going into that. And I actually had on my show someone that does a podcast on Newcastle United and he came to me and predicted 3-0. For Newcastle United. Now I understand the confidence, but my club has really not been a club that has really been dominated all season, like I said, except for when a, a player got sent off. So what I watched today was my team fight throughout the entire match and gave themselves a chance to not only get something from it, but potentially win it. And then you have the situation with Alexander Mitrovic. And he double kicks his penalty. And I've, like I said, I've never seen that before. And from that point on, from, from that opportunity on, it was all about Newcastle United. And uh, I thought Marco Silva made an error in judgment. And it's funny because I, I can't say that often when it comes to him. Because the one great thing about Fulham is that they play on the front foot. They've always pretty much played on the front foot. Well, Marco decided to change it up and get defensive to end the match and brought on another center back. So we went three at the back to end the match. And that ended up coming back to bite them because they basically had two center backs that really were not on the same page. And then you have someone pretty much gets a tap in to win the match. And that's basically what happened. They fought to the end. I'm very proud of my club because I think that what's great about Fulham is that they are going to compete for 90 plus minutes and they did again. So I'll leave the match thinking that they gave themselves a chance to win and they deserve to be sixth. I I know that's crazy to sound, but they deserve to be there. Yeah, and you mentioned being able to to kind of look forward at potentially a European spot. I mean, on 31 points already in the preseason, we were asking if Fulham would even stay up, and it seems you've you've almost already finished that work and are now right. now free to kind of push up the table. Uh, another thing we talked about before we started the show, just because of the uh, uh, potential that he had to go to either either. Uh, Fulham or Wolves is Joel Polina because as you rightly said a lot of people get distracted by Mitrovic especially with the, like the growing influence of of fantasy and stuff but just how important has Polina been to this Fulham side to, to help drive you to where you are now vital everything is really about him he is really the heartbeat of Fulham football club he I think he probably still leads 
well, he has for a while, the Premier League in tackles. And everything feeds off of him. So when he's playing well, it allows Harrison Reed, who really is a defensive midfielder, to become a box-to-box midfielder and be more offensive. And that allows Pereira in that midfield three to really float and uh, really get involved up top. So for me, Polina really just, not only does he protect the back four, but he does a lot more than that. He also allows them to go forward. So when he plays well, he is just everything flows for Fulham. And it's funny because the last few matches, he has not been at his, at his best. But he still does so much for Fulham Football Club. And the best example I can give you was the one time that they really got battered against Newcastle United. He was suspended for the match. They lost 4-1. to one. That's not an accident. There was a red card, but it was also the fact that Paulinho was out. He is so important to everything that they do. And I know other clubs are interested in him. And I just think that it would be insane for Fulham to even remotely think about selling him right now. They might be forced to this summer, but they got to do whatever they can. Going back to my friend who's the Wolves supporter, you have to keep your key players. And it starts with him. It really does. Because Mitro, I has already proven his loyalty to Fulham. It really comes down to keeping Paulinha, Pereira, and all these players intact going into a season two in the Premier League. Because they're going to be in the Premier League. But without a doubt, they're they're not where they are without Paulinha. Yeah, totally. Even, even an untrained eye could pick out uh, him on the pitch as being one of the better players in most of the matches he plays. Um, we'll head from there into player watch, very conveniently. Uh, but this side, talking about players that we think are, are most likely to potentially leave our clubs by the end of this winter transfer window. Thomas, we'll start with you and Wolves. Yeah, I think we're for a team that hardly score any goals, we're bizarrely overloaded in attack now. And... Um, <laughs> I think a player we bought in the summer was Goncalo Guedes or Guedes. And, um, you know, we paid Valencia a lot of money, 30 million euros, I think, for him. Um, he came with a reasonable pedigree. Just hasn't really clicked for him. He's got a couple of goals, um, but he hasn't been brilliant. He's been inconsistent. And then Lopetegui was asked about him because he, he wasn't in the squad yesterday. And, um, you know, he said it was a tactical reason. So, you know, a guy you spend... 25, 30 million quid on. He's not making it into an 18-man squad. Uh, so something doesn't add up there. And with the money we've spent out, it, it makes sense that someone's going to be offloaded. So you can well imagine that George Mendes is, is <laughs> having phone calls as we speak, trying to find a solution for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I probably would have said Raul Jimenez at the start of the month, but Lopetegui has reintegrated him into the squad and he's he's you know got a number of minutes under his belt and he's starting to look Starting to look a lot better for that as well. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I've had to pick one, Goncalo Guedes, and then maybe Traore, just because he's got six months left on his deal. Um, he seems like he's playing within himself, trying to avoid getting an injury. Maybe some team would think I'll take a punt on him and, and pay him the, the big salary that he wants, because he's obviously angling for that big contract. Um, but, you know, he, he and the club may, may choose to wait it out until the summer. Uh, 
it looks like I, I mean, uh, looks like Lucas Moura uh, is probably on his way, Kev, uh, either in this window or or at the end of the season. Um, obviously, a player whose whose place in Spurs history is ensured after the uh, the Ajax um, semi final. Um, but I think a lot of Spurs fans would be okay with him moving on if, if it creates space for another creative player like uh, Brian Gill to to continue develop uh, in the encouraging way that he has recently. And and you were asking me uh, before we came on uh, to grab for grasp for positives out of today and uh, uh, not just from today, but over the past few games, uh, Brian Brian Gill has uh, has looked good. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think though probably what will happen in this in this window is that there's going to be a, a an evaluation of the the players who are out on loan currently and and uh, see where the squad might land for for next season. And also, for example, you know we we brought in Longley um, on loan because Conte wanted Bastoni and. Uh, if we're not going to be in the Champions League next season, I think Bastoni, the chances of Bastoni coming to us uh, are are probably um, uh, small to none. So yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pieces to the jigsaw. But uh, uh, Lucas Moura, if he if he does end up going, then uh, thank you for for everything and uh, much success. For Fulham, I'm going to give you two. One is going to be Kevin and Babu. I expect Kevin and Babu, if they are able to find mm-hmm. another right back, uh, to go right back out, uh, to be honest with you, to be sold, because uh, he has not worked out at all. He's, he is probably one of the only misses this summer for Fulham. He really has not even had a chance to play, and that just tells you that he's not trusted by Marco Silva. So I expect Kevin and Babu. To go. The the other interesting one is a loan situation because there's speculation that Fulham might try to bring in a player on loan. And if they do, they might they might bring a might have to have a player go back to Leeds United, which is Dan James. So there is speculation that if Fulham bring want to bring a player in on loan, that Dan James would go back to Leeds United. And uh that would be unfortunate. Dan James's career is uh been all over the place. It just hasn't worked out for him so far at Fulham. He's got the pace, but it just he's just not the finished article. So it wouldn't shock me if you see Dan James back at Leeds United. Gotcha. Yeah, interesting uh, potential misses there. Do you think the thing that messed with Dan James was Willian being on trial or, or, or just training at the club and then deciding to sign? I don't think that's it. I've... Uh, heard what Marco Silva's had had to say about Dan James and what it really came down to for him is that it really has just taken him a long time to learn his way of playing football compared to the way it's being played at Leeds United or or Manchester United it's just taken him a a while to integrate and I think he's playing him but he's just not playing him regularly we've seen some glimpses of the player that I think Fulham wanted we saw that against Manchester United and we've seen it in in the cup match but ultimately there are a lot of winners right now vying for positions and they just got Manor Solomon back so that might make him basically available to go back because they they do have another winger even though Solomon is more of a left-sided winger they've already 
played him on the right-hand side. So that tells me they might be preparing for Dan James to go back to Leeds United. Gotcha. Well, certainly be interesting to see if you do give up on two players that you uh, that you signed so recently. But yeah. it's hard to argue with the results that you've had thus far this season. Uh, we'll wrap up here with match previews. Uh, Thomas, you're going to be facing Liverpool because of a series of dubious VAR and refereeing decisions uh, in the first leg. What do you think you'll see in this one? Dubious. I think that's very charitable, Kev. Dubious decisions. We were che- we were cheated out of that game. I got. I hope I've never come across as overly, uh, you know, rose-coloured glasses in favour of. But that was one of the greatest injustices I've ever seen on a football pitch. Not just for the goal at the end, but the Salah offside for their goal. He's offside. I don't understand. I still can't get my head around that. But um, yeah. Um, I, I fancy our chances in this, Kev. And uh, we, we don't get anything off Liverpool ever. Um, and even when we do, something comes along like those decisions, it seems like, just consistently. Uh, but I fancy us because I think he's Klopp's going to make changes to that team so soon after the, the Brighton game. And I don't think their first team's you know, clicking together very well. So if he gets the blend of that team wrong, um, and I, as I say, our squad's a bit, bit beefier these days. I think the 11 we put out could be quite decent. So I'm going to go for a cup up. So I'm going to go beef. I'm gonna, I, I think we're going to. I think we're going to put them out on Tuesday. I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to say two one to Wolves. Hmm. Following the age old sports adage, ball don't lie. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, certainly a, a good time for you to play them with with your form in there. So uh, yeah, as you say, inner justice is probably a, a closer, more accurate way to describe them. But best of luck to you in that one, uh, Steve. As for Tottenham. You get a reprieve finally after the North London Derby having to just face a uh, check schedule. Oh, Manchester City. Not exactly an ideal bounce back opportunity, but of course, the only top yeah. six side that Tottenham managed to beat last year and they did it twice. <laughs> right, exactly. Plus the uh, the way the fixture uh, switch comes about, we actually have to play City twice in the next few weeks. Um, and, uh, it, you know, that it could be a make or break uh, pair of games for us. And not to mention... Uh, you know, well, that's a tricky game we have against Fulham coming up. Russ, you must you must be pretty upbeat about uh, taking us on right now. Um, I wouldn't even predict that we are going to come out unscathed from the uh, cup tie against Preston. I think that might turn out to be uh, a tricky trip to Deepdale. But um, yeah, certainly p- playing City twice, and I think it's the next three and a half weeks or something like that, is uh, is not... Not what you would call an ideal bounce back. So, uh, so let's let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Uh, yeah, not optimistic. I, I think the one thing that's uh, the huge difference is that Sonny has been the city killer historically, right. and right. he has been a shadow of himself this year. So, yeah. Oh yeah, not that's too optimistic. Inexplicable. About that. Inexplicable. Yep. Yeah. And then Russ, you get to talk about a Tottenham match too, because at the weekend, I do. As Steve mentioned, it's Fulham versus Tottenham, and he said you got to be feeling a little confident. Well, I am more to do with Fulham than to do with Tottenham, just because Fulham have really been difficult to beat at Craven Cottage. So I do feel confident, and uh, I I'm looking forward to it because I. I Wanted to see how Fulham would react the second time that they would play Arsenal, the second time that they would play Tottenham, especially at home. So I do like Fulham's chances, and uh, I wouldn't bet against them against um, Spurs. 
next Monday night. I, I think it's uh, I think Fulham have a good chance to get all three points, partially because of the way that they play at home. Not that they're that they play badly on the road. They've actually played well, but they have made Craven Cottage a fortress once again. So I do like the chances. All right, well, we'll leave things there. If you guys want to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now's a great time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Uh, yeah, all things Wolves. Um, I'm not going to repeat all the uh, places you can find us, as I always do. Just Google Wolves blog. You're going to see the blog and Facebook and Twitter, and, uh, you know, we're active in all those places. Uh, if your team's playing Wolves or, you know, you just fancy reading about Wolves, uh, Look us up, and uh, there's lots of great content and discussion over on the wolvesblog.com. Ah, thank you very much for having me on again, Kevin, and thanks, guys. That was that was a really good conversation, uh, and it's always good to remember that uh, whatever happens when your club plays, you get a chance to make it right next week. Um, Kevin, usually when I sign off, I point folks to what I call my non-football writing project, but uh, and it might actually be interesting for this audience that. Uh, the latest Q&A that I've done is with a soccer writer and betting strategist where we talk about the World Cup just passed and the one next to come in the Americas. So if you think that might be worth reading, you can check that out at statesofplayproject.com and go to the conversations section. And thanks again, guys. Take care. Okay, well, you can uh, follow me on Twitter for under Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter account for College Talk. I am the host of College Talk. My name is Russ Goldman. I would really appreciate the follows. And as I mentioned earlier, guys, uh, what's great about College Talk is that we're now part of the TalkSport Fan Network, which will have a, a big promotional launch soon. But we've been part of it since September, and uh, it's been nice to be part of uh the talk sport fan network but you can definitely follow me on twitter at the places i just mentioned yeah and russ i think i'm coming on there soon to talk about that match so uh, i certainly hope so yeah very easy for this audience to come swing by and and check out your stuff over at cottage talk Uh, i'm your host kevin devries you can find this show uh, at epl roundtable you can find me on twitter at kevroff you can you can find the podcast by searching epl roundtable in any of your podcast services but Uh, Big thanks to these three for coming on today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.